hello and welcome to the Becca's Music Room podcast. My name is Becca and I am an elementary music teacher who loves to share all of the things with all of you. In this podcast, you will get tips, tricks, ideas, lesson plans, and much, much more that you can take directly to your classroom. My goal is for everything to be as simple and easy as possible so that I can take some of the stress out of your life and help you have the best music teaching year ever. So if you are excited for all of the things, then grab a cup of coffee and let's get to it. All right, hello everyone. I'm here with Michelle Rose and we are gonna talk all about distance learning, which is what's on everybody's mind. So thank you, Michelle, for being here today. Awesome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, so you have been teaching online for how long? Four years. So this is my, my fourth year doing this. So I was doing it pre-COVID, pre-crisis teaching. <laughs> Has anything changed for you since all of the everything's gone down this year? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the biggest change is just like the, the mental strain for teachers and students. It's just like, we can't, we also can't do as much as we used to just with, you know, it, it's just a trying, a trying time. Um, and a lot of times for our students, their families, you know, their situation has also changed and continues to change pretty frequently too, just like all of our situations are constantly changing. So, even though we kind of have a, a system down and I definitely don't feel like I'm learning how to teach again, there are definitely still weeks and days where technology is failing more frequently because everybody's using it or uh, you know, students are just more tired, especially my high school 815 music appreciation class. That one's, you know, my kids are just always tired for that class. I'm like, if I could give you an extra hour of sleep, I would. But yeah, I think uh, it's affected our school in different ways than everyone else. But I think that there hasn't been a situation where everything has gone untouched and is functioning as normal. You know, I think this has truly affected everyone across the board for sure. In the entire world. <laughs> mm, yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your teaching situation since you are at an all online school. Like what grades do you teach and how did you find an online school and <laughs> all of those things? So my school serves students in grades K through 12 across the entire state of North Carolina. And we have students, I think, currently attending from 97 out of the 100 counties in North Carolina. So we have students from all over. Now, even though our school is K through 12, I am uh, just teaching eighth grade general music, high school music appreciation. And then I also have uh, an extracurricular virtual ensemble. So I direct the virtual instrumental ensemble, which has band and orchestra instruments in it. And then I also direct the virtual choir. And so those two ensembles are open to any student who's enrolled in NCBA in grades six through 12. Um, and then occasionally I do guest teach at the elementary level. So I do enjoy working with the little ones as well. I taught K2 my first year of teaching and there is definitely something special about, you know, seeing younger kids uh, that, you know, you just don't get quite from, from the high schoolers. So I work pretty much across the board because I am the only music teacher at our school right now. Fingers crossed we will get another music teacher because I definitely am kind of maxed out and hoping to eventually expand some programs. Uh, but that is my position and how I found my position, actually just applied to this position on a whim. Uh, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. I just knew that it looked like a pretty cool opportunity and I had applied to a couple different jobs and this one was just the one that kind of seemed you know the most interesting to me that I got an offer for. So I really had no idea what I was getting myself into at first and I think back to like four years ago when I first started and how overwhelmed that I felt because it truly is like starting back at year one. It's a different skill set to teach online effectively. 
than it is to teach in brick and mortar. And I remember that there were very few music education resources at the time. And still a lot of virtual schools don't have music programs. So I'm hoping one, that this shows that it can be done across the board, you know, uh, and two, you know, more music teachers have access to resources. So they feel like they're not drowning as much. And that, that has kind of been my goal over the past couple months to help people feel less like they're drowning all the time. Because I just remember that feeling and remembering that like I did not have the resources to collaborate with other online music educators and that kind of thing. So trying to help people out transition as easily as possible. <laughs> yes, and we appreciate that. So I was telling you, I have, I'm still at home and I have been teaching at home since March. We, our tentative plan is to go back in January as long as the numbers are all good. So, you know, fingers crossed everything works out. But it's so interesting. I actually remember, I followed you on Instagram for a while. So I remember the first time I heard that you were like a virtual music teacher and I was like, how does that work? And I was so confused. And then now it's like almost the norm and it's just kind of funny how things have changed. Yeah. It's wild to me. Like if a year ago you told me that like everybody was going to be doing my job for a little bit while, I would just say, no, that's not possible. Like people, um, you know, like a year ago, they would be like, is your job even possible? Like they would just kind of look at me strangely. And I would kind of, I like avoided telling people where I worked specifically. I kind of just said music teacher broadly when people asked me what I did because it was complicated to explain to people what um, my job really entailed. But now people kind of see one, that it is possible and two, uh, they don't really have a choice in a lot of instances, especially like a, you know, a couple months ago when everybody was online. So it's been a, an out-of-body experience, to be honest. I am the last person that would have guessed this would have happened. I, I would venture to say none of us would have guessed that this would happen. Sorry, my dog was trying to uh, eat something in my closet. So anyway, I feel like that's just like the work from home life. Like that is just constant. And I think that this whole experience has really hum humanized a lot of people, you know, like, because uh, like, there are so many unpredictable things that just happen when you're at home, even if you're, you know, even if you don't, like, I don't have any kids, but I have a dog. And I, you know, I live with my favorite human, Wesley, and like, things just happen. And it's just, all right, we're just going to deal with it. We're just going to roll with it. We're all humans. And so I think it has humanized a lot of people in a very interesting way too. Yeah. It's, I've noticed with the kids, they kind of see us more as humans now because they're seeing like, oh, Miss Davis has a dog and it barks sometimes, just like my dog barks sometimes and all of that kind of, and just like being, you know, in your home which is really different. Um, before we get into like the meat of ideas and lessons and stuff like that, can we talk about some pros of working from home? Because I feel like, I mean, 2020 has been crazy. So there's been just like a lot of negative energy, I guess is where I'm going. A lot of negative energy and talk. So can we talk briefly about like good things that come from work from home to kind of, you know, appreciate it while we have it? <laughs> Sure. Well, I will say that one of my favorite things to do with uh, my virtual ensemble students, like if we have a sectional or something like that, we'll do like, you know, go grab your pet and it'll be like, bring your pet to the sectional day where everyone just like holds up their pet for like the first minute and we go, oh my goodness, look at all the, the cats and the dogs. And one kid like had a snake and everyone was fascinated by that. And so I think there are these moments of, of joy that you can find in in online teaching like I love it when siblings are coming over and families are coming over they're like singing along and jamming out and it's just like I love to see that kind of thing where we're really you know advocating directly into people's homes which doesn't really happen in brick and mortar like you're not going to show up to a kid's house and be like here's what we do in music class uh it just happens you know once or twice a semester where they, there's a concert or a talent show or whatever. Um, and so I think, you know, there is this deep appreciation for what happens in a classroom or what can happen in a classroom. 
Um, I love it when kids are like, yeah, my, my, everyone in my household is like jamming out to your music appreciation class. Like when I do disco, it's always, always a popular, popular one. Um, but yeah, I think it's just great to see families when you can go to get over that bump of like, oh my gosh, there are people looking at my lessons that don't normally, but when you can get over that fear and really uh, see the joy of, you know, siblings coming in and joining in in choir rehearsal and everyone singing together, it's not, you know, a perfect situation, but just to see people finding joy in that. And then personally, I love to eat lunch at home. I occasionally will take like a, a power nap on my lunch break uh, if I need it. And so like, you know, if I, I've got this time for lunch, I can kind of eat on the go and then just like take a 15 minute power nap on my lunch break. And that is definitely something that I could not do in brick and mortar. Um, I like that I can work from my couch. And so I don't really like, I am at a standing desk right now, but I do not like to sit in a chair. Like I'm either at my standing desk or I sit on my couch. And so I can kind of work and be comfortable. Um, and so that is like a huge pro for me. And I think not having a commute is a huge one for me too, because, you know, if you, even if it's like, if you live like 20 minutes away, I mean, that's 40 minutes a day, you're getting 40 minutes a day back. Uh, now it is important for you to set that boundary and say like, okay, I'm going to only work in my contract hours. So you're not spending that like commute time still working. Um, so that's like the key with that is that, you know, taking your commute time and maybe like, I don't know, I'd like to go out in the morning and take my dog out. And I do the same thing every morning. I watch the Today Show for a little bit. I eat my breakfast. And so there is less of a rush uh, in the morning for me because I don't have a, a commute. So that is definitely a huge, a huge pro for me. Yeah. It's been a running joke since I've been home. My husband's always like, do you need to get gas this week? And I'm like, I haven't gone anywhere and like, I don't know what you're talking about, but I love what you said about the families. I've been loving that too. Like the, cause you know, I teach elementary, so we do a lot of dancing and movement and all sorts of stuff. And the parents will join in today. Actually, one of my kids, older siblings, who's in middle school, like walked through the back and I taught her when she was in school. And so I like called her name and she turned around like freaked out. Cause she didn't know I was there. <laughs> And it was just this like really funny moment that would not have happened in school because she wouldn't have been at school for any reason. Um, so that was really nice. Yeah. And I think like there are definitely a lot of things that are, are heavy right now and that are going wrong. But I think if you can grab onto those moments of joy, those imperfect moments of joy, those like little brief moments, that's like really what is sustaining me right now too. It's just like knowing that through all this, kids are still making music in some way and they're still smiling while they do it, you know? Yeah, agreed. I feel the exact same way about it. I'm like, let's just hold on to all the fun good things that have happened. Um, so let's talk about what everybody wants to talk about, which would be lesson ideas, especially I hear a lot of people asking about like older students, which is perfect since you teach eighth to ninth grade and that kind of stuff. So um, what kind of lessons do you do? Do you have like assignments? Do you do things like just, just lay it all on us? All right. Yes. So I think that older students, older general music, like, you know, sixth grade onward is really a neglected part of general music. And that like hurts my heart because I love teaching older kids. Like that is where that's, that's my jam. Like eighth through 12th grade is totally my jam, but these, these lesson ideas can definitely be adapted. Um, I'll talk a little bit about one of the uh, units I'm doing currently for eighth grade. So I only see my eighth graders like once, I mean, I don't have them K through seven. And so we are doing uh, a music, like we're studying a music, uh, music from a different country uh, every week. And so ideally, you know, if I had them K through seven, we'd do a deep dive into a country or a culture um, every year. But, you know, I kind of have to weigh 
my music philosophy against my reality, which is that I'm only, I won't, I'm only potentially seeing them for one year. For eighth grade, we have one flipped lesson, asynchronous work per week. And usually that is about 10 to 15 minute recording. And then they have like a four question exit ticket after just to kind of make sure that they grasp the information. Did and then we have video that they watch. Yes. Okay. Yes. So it'll be a, a video recording. Uh, and then we do one a uh, 30 to 45 minute live lesson per week. And so it's, I have so much I got to pack into like one year that I have with them. But um, the way that I structured it is we are learning the traditional folk instruments of a particular country in the asynchronous lesson. And then in the live lesson, we learn about the pop popular music, contemporary music of that country the following week. So, um, I think it's just really important to make sure that we don't like kind of have that museum of effect of like looking at other cultures or countries and only looking at the traditional folk music, you know, and it's like, oh, we're looking back in time and that's all that exists. Because I don't want kids to think like, we just did Japan. So I don't want kids to think like, oh, the only, you know, they all still go around and play shakuhachi flutes and that's it, you know there is so much rich contemporary music in Japan as well. So uh, students, we studied J-pop and J-rock and uh, anime, film music. And I had several activities planned within that for the live lesson. So we describe the music that we are hearing and we, uh, you know, compare to other music that we've studied previously. Um, and I like to do the make a prediction game. So at the end, I put the four genres that we learned, uh, the traditional genre from the recording and then J-pop, J-rock and anime slash film music. And I had different video examples and then they tried to uh, figure out what genre they would be in um, just from listening to 30 seconds of it. And so I always tell my students, <laughs> I turned it into game show. I'm like, do you want to win a million fake dollars? Let's see if you can get all these questions correct. Um, but just making sure that it is more than just like dishing out information. I think the biggest thing with older kids is that they may not necessarily like get up and and dance and do a folk dance right but that doesn't mean that they should just like sit and consume the whole time like using polling um using timers always one of my favorite things to do is making sure that people use timers because it helps with pacing um and understanding like okay you have a minute to type your answer into this chat and kind of put an end point because if you just wait forever some kids will just like drag out the lesson and they won't press that enter button or they won't stop typing, you know, for five minutes. And so having some sort of like end point really helps with older students. Um, so that's one, that's one unit that we have done. Um, some other things, I think just like giving students opportunities to compose music. So the other week, so we did, or let's see, we did a movie music unit with uh, an extension lesson of TV, music and TV. Um, and at the end of that, what I did is I showed like a vintage Mario Brothers commercial. And I said, your job is to, you know, take that commercial, but you are going to update the music for the 30th, I think it I want to say it's 30th anniversary. Don't quote me on that one. I know there's like some big anniversary coming up. We'll go with it. It's fine. <laughs> but um, using beatbox.co. And so I showed them how to, you know, change the settings so it sounds kind of like a, a vintage -y, uh, you know, uh, chiptune kind of sound, but they could create their own modern spin on it. And so just giving students those moments, my students really love to create and then they love to show off their music. So it doesn't have to be a giant project. I think like when we think of older kids, it's like, oh, we're gonna have to do these like giant projects that are gonna take like four or five weeks. But what I did that like, you know, little like, hey, here's a commercial, you're gonna pretend you're a composer and create an updated version of the music that goes along with the commercial. I mean, that was 15 minutes of the end of my lesson. So I think just keeping in mind that 
you don't have to do giant projects to get kids making music. Yeah, that's such a good point because especially with composing, I feel like we're like, we're going to compose today instead of just like, we're just going to make some music. And it can be, you know, my lessons are like supposed to be 30 minutes, but they never are actually 30 minutes. So I always feel like we're so rushed. So I'm always looking for like little things that we can do right now that we can squeeze in. What are some of your favorite um, resources, websites, tools? So like you mentioned, beatbox.co, what are there other things that you like to use? Yes. So um, I just used BandLab for the first time with my high schoolers uh, and BandLab is free, which is why I went with it this year. And it's great because it, ha it has uh, so many high quality loops. And so what I did with that project is I just gave my students, um, you know, you had to, you have to include, you know, at least one drums or beats track, at least one bass track, at least one guitar or piano track, and then at least one sort of like vocalization or voice track or something like that. And then everything else, you know, the sky's the limit. So I showed them how to search in the loops and search by genre. And so that was a really great way to start my students, you know, into taking a look at this. Now, I would love to do, you know, more complex things with it. But I think, again, they didn't have to do something like extremely complex. And now that students have done that, this is, you know, something that they could use beyond my class. So if they really liked using BandLab, that, that is something that they can do going forward. Um, Nearpod, I am a huge fan of Nearpod. So Nearpod is great K through 12. Uh, I use Nearpod all the time. It's a great way to engage students. And the free version is, uh, has all the features now, which is awesome. They changed that, I think, in the spring. So it just has like more limited storage, uh, but I think it's worth it for sure to engage students because there's just so much within Nearpod. Like it comes with a polling uh, tool, it comes with slides, it comes with the game, you know, time to climb, I think it is. It comes with open-ended questions, it comes with a discussion board. So there's so much already built into Nearpod. And I always tell people, if there's gonna be one thing that you try, Nearpod is my favorite. Uh, Do you like Nearpod better than Pear Deck? I'm going to say yes on that because my school is not a Google school. So I think it's maybe it's different um, if your school is a Google school. But I would say yes. I'm not as familiar with Pear Deck, though. So it might also be great. My rule is that I only learn one new piece of technology or one new website at a time. And then I like block out everything else. Like it's my job because there are so many great things out there and I don't have the bandwidth <laughs> to be investigating a million things, nor do my students have the bandwidth to learn a different thing every single week. So for my sanity, I just say, I'm sure that sounds awesome. And, you know, maybe I'll put it on my list. Like the one thing that I looked into last semester was Soundtrap. The one thing that I'm doing this semester is BandLab. Um, I know like Loom was like super popular in the spring and people kept being like, so do you use Loom? Have you heard of Loom? Loom, Loom, Loom. And I'm like, I'm sure it's awesome. And like, I am not gonna look into it because you can spend hours and hours and hours looking into technology resources. So I would say pick one or two and stick with them. And that's kind of the best, best approach. Um, I'm trying to think of other resources too. It's tough for upper grades because with elementary school, there are like a million websites yeah. that are, but they're often very cutesy or, you know, uh, the language is a little bit simpler than what I would want to give my upper grade students. So beatbox.co, I do use Google SongMaker, um, BandLab, all great composition tools. Do they still like Kahoot or is that too little kid for them? Oh yeah. I use Kahoot and quizzes. Yeah. My, listen, uh, kids at every age love a good, love a good game. Even if they're like secretly cringing on the inside, you know, 
I do feedback surveys. And so I still get kids like saying that cahoots are helpful for them um, or fun, you know, and I still have eighth graders ask all of the time, like, can we play a cahoot game? It's like, you can't play cahoot every single game, peeps. Like, that's just not how this works. So um, I'm the fourth <laughs> grader. Every time I come, she types in the chat, are we going to play cahoot today? <laughs> Yeah, I, um, I've also done some digital escapes. And so those are definitely like next, next level because I create my own um, from scratch, but they all they can be super uh, engaging for older kids. I just basically what I do is I have one kid screen share and then I give every kid like a specific job for you know, their team. So that way it's not just like one kid doing all the work, but you know, having you know, one kid being the harmonizer. So they kind of keep everyone uh, going and provide positive feedback. I have one kid who's the timer who reminds everyone, okay, we have this much time left or, you know, we spent 10 minutes on this one problem. So we need to keep going. Um, I have one kid who's the recorder and they screen share the whole time. And then I have one kid who is like the team uh, leader. And so they, make sure that everyone's voice is heard uh, and just kind of urge people in the right direction if needed. So I think, you know, doing digital escapes are great for older kids. And if you're feeling overwhelmed already, if you can find a pre-made one or, you know, do a simpler one, I would say don't put yourself out there too much though. The main thing you need to do right now is just preserve sanity. So the easier that you can make your life, the better. Uh, one more resource that I really love is PlayPosit. So PlayPosit doesn't require a login. You can turn off that setting. That's one thing that I really love because kids do not need any more logins. <laughs> and anytime you have a video, you can put that into PlayPosit and add interactions throughout the video. So that is kind of adding a next level to kids, you know, watching a video, especially if it's a YouTube video. Um, usually, you know, I want kids to make, to actually be watching it and not just like how I watch YouTube videos, which is I press play and then I like do 8 million other things. <laughs> and then I end up on like in a very obscure YouTube video cause like it kept auto playing and I look up and I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I watching right now? It's like some, you know, deep in, in YouTube where it's like, what, what in the algorithm led me here, you know? So I want kids to be watching academically and being engaged and not just kind of casually like doing 8 million other things like I definitely do when I go on YouTube. So is it like you upload a YouTube video and then add the questions in? Does it like stop throughout? Yes, it automatically stops. And the great thing is too that students can't go on until they complete the interaction and they can't fast forward. So they actually have to go and watch the video. And so that's a great way to kind of guarantee that kids are actually watching. And it shows you on your end how far every kid got and if they finished it or not. So if you have a kid just like log in and then answer the first question and then they go, and then they don't do anything else, you can see that. So, you know, cause sometimes uh, you can see like if in our LMS, you can see if a kid has clicked on something or not. But, you know, just because a kid has clicked on something doesn't mean that they've actually been able to go in and do anything with it. So kind of adds that extra level, engages kids and uh, helps you, you know, assess as well. Yes, I keep getting um, students turning in blank assignments in my LMS. So I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, I get that too. Oh. And all I put is blank document submitted, please resubmit with your completed assignment. Um, and, and that's just kind of the, I have that copied and pasted, you know, in a document. I have all these like phrases that I just copy and paste that is very smart. easily. Yeah, because it takes up so much energy to constantly have to think of like subject lines and like what you're going to put in a body of an email. And like, I give the same, relatively the same feedback when I'm grading and when I have to grade like 300 kids, you know, it's just easier for me not to have to type out, even if it's just a sentence every time, just copy and paste it. So I'm preserving mental energy because I feel like 
teaching online, there are plenty of things throughout the day that just kind of like chip away at your mental energy. So anything that I can just copy and paste, even if it's something simple, it really does preserve a lot over time, especially if you're answering a lot of emails. <laughs> you are correct. So since your school is always virtual, do you still have issues with like attendance and kids not coming to class or not doing their work or all of that kind of stuff? Yes. And so our attendance is tracked probably more um, thoroughly than most brick and mortar schools because that was something that was thrown upon them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so we track student attendance in class and also in the time that they spend in the LMS. And so they have to be doing at least six hours of work every day. Uh, they also have a learning coach that is supposed to enter their hours manually. So that manual, you know, hour logging is checked up against our system. And it's not, it, it, we're not looking for it to be exact, but, you know, if a learning coach is uh, putting in, you know, that they're doing six hours a day and they haven't logged in, um, then it can become a truancy issue. And so just like truancy is an issue in brick and mortar. Uh, if they don't come to school, truancy can become an issue if they're not logging in and actually doing work. And so our school has a whole system to make sure that they're catching students uh, before we get to that point. And so for me, um, if I'm seeing students that are not turning in work, uh, I will first try to talk to the student and just be like, hey, like, what's going on? Like, you know, and sometimes it's as simple as, I have so much other work for my other classes and I really want to do my music work, but I'm overwhelmed and I can't. And so I do an office hour every week for students to just kind of catch up. And so it is an optional office hour, but I make it required for students who I see have kind of slipped a little bit. And so they're required to come and all they do is just check in with me and then they share their screen while they work. So that way there's some accountability there for them. Um, I also, you know, will call the parent um, or guardian if I see it becoming a chronic issue and they're not coming to class. And I always come at it at, in a non-accusatory way because I think it's really easy to be like, why are you coming or why aren't you coming to class? Why aren't you logging on? Why aren't you doing this work? I've done, I have put hours into this lesson and you are not here to do it. But I always just ask like, hey, is everything okay? What's, you know, what's going on? And sometimes it is a technology issue and I can walk them through it. Sometimes things have just been lost in translation. Sometimes, you know, things are going on. And so I think when you approach it like that, uh, it can be a little bit easier um, to communicate with students and to make sure that they are doing their work. Um, around this time, especially for virtual ensemble, I see sometimes like assignments drop off. So I still have assignments for my kids in smart music for virtual ensemble. And so sometimes I see assignment uh, submission drop off around this time because everyone's tired and we're just trying to push towards breaks and all of that. So I will occasionally do a catch-up day where students will come in and the whole rehearsal or the whole time they have just to kind of work through anything that they're missing and getting it submitted. And again, I have them screen share. So if, you know, different than turning on their cameras. I don't require cameras to be on at all times. Uh, I invite students to turn cameras on, but I never force a student to turn on a camera. But I do have them screen share because that is not going to be sharing any information about like their home or like what they look like or anything like that. Um, and they have the option to just screen share one window. So it really helps to kind of see, you know, where students are at. It also helps me to diagnose any technology issues and work through students one-on-one. -on -one. So I'll put them in individual breakout rooms um, in Zoom, and then I'll just kind of filter through each room as the students are working on whatever they need to work on. So if you have seen a drop off recently, I would say try giving your students like one class to just work on work that they haven't submitted just to get some time caught up and also to see like, oh, 
that's why you haven't submitted the last five assignments because you can't log in or we need to clear your cache and cookies or something strange is happening and I don't know why. That is like, you know, 25% of the time it's just like, well, that's interesting. I've not seen that before. <laughs> um, so yeah, and I think too, it just, it's a tough year. And I've even seen kids in my school, even kids who have gone to my school for years and years, it's just difficult this year. And so my assignment completion may not be as high as previous years. And, you know, kids are doing the best they can right now. Adults are doing the best they can right now. I mean, I don't think anyone's really having their best teaching year ever, including me, uh, just because it's just kind of a roll with the punches kind of deal. And so I think just seeing kids as humans first is really the biggest thing for me when it comes to like kids not coming or kids not completing things or whatever. It's just like seeing kids' humanity first and figuring out what's the root cause and how can I help you. Yeah, that's really good. I like the seeing them as people first. Sometimes it's hard when you have, you know, 700 they start just being you know students as opposed to like people um so you brought up virtual ensembles and i was very curious as to how you do that could you explain like what you do for your virtual ensembles and how that all works sure so i'm gonna i'll do my best to be succinct about it but um basically it's completely extracurricular so for my, I'll just talk about my choir um, first as an example. So for my choir, we have two rehearsals per week. One rehearsal is uh, just with a sectional with their voice part. And that's kind of where we go into learning parts and you know specific like things you would spend time in rehearsal on where it'd be like, okay, and soprano ones, we're gonna go over this part and everyone else is kind of just sitting um, or maybe they're doing something, but it's nice because you don't have that like, okay, I need to figure out what I'm going to do with these other sections while I'm trying to work with one section. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of nice. And then uh, we have one full choir rehearsal. So today we had full choir rehearsal and we're learning White Winter Hymnal. Um, the pen pentatonics did like a cover of it and so that was my that yes and so and it's pretty it's not too bad um in terms of just like the difficulty of it because it's pretty repetitive uh but my students chose that one i let them pick a piece every semester within i choose a couple and then they get to vote um but we learned the some of the body percussion that we're going to record for it today since everybody is going to be doing the body progression. Um, so usually in full choir, we do things that affect everyone. So, you know, dynamics, uh, how we are, you know, pronouncing certain words in certain parts. Uh, sometimes that changes, but you know, if we are, if I hear students all doing the same thing, I'll be like, okay, we need to talk about the vowel shape or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, any unison parts, we will go over in full choir. So, and then we'll also listen to uh, full choir, like parts together. So I use smart music with my students. I've used Soundtrap before too. I think it just is a personal preference. I think both have their pros and cons. Um, but I think, you know, having students record themselves and allowing me to hear them every week is kind of key. And so I don't hear them in rehearsal because they're all muted. That's I can see I them. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I can see them. Um, and I can see when they're not opening their mouths, uh, <laughs> like you all can't be hitting that note right now. Your, your mouths are not open far enough. <laughs> um, but I don't, I don't actually hear them. And so the, the place that I hear them is, has just shifted. So I'm still listening to their work. And so they have, you know, short recording assignments that they do every week in smart music. Then I would say every like two to three weeks, I pull all those recordings. Smart music has made it easy this year to do that, uh, which has been an awesome feature. And I'll put them all together and then I won't do any editing. So that way students can hear like, oh, if I don't sing the correct rhythm, 
Mm, people will notice. Then, yeah, then, then it's going to be an issue. And if I don't sing the right words, or if I'm, I'm, I'm not like, you know, paying attention to how long I should hold out this note, then when I'm singing, when my part is with other people, I see how that fits in. And so I think like, you know, a lot of people wait until the very end to kind of reveal this like virtual ensemble. Here is the virtual choir. But I think there's so much learning that can happen when you are showing students what they sound like kind of throughout the semester. Like I did, I remember we, for White Winter Hymnal, I think it was like week two or three where I pulled them, put them all together and they were like, oh, we really got a lot of work to do. I was like, yeah, I hope so. Like, I hope we have a lot of work to do because we're only like two or three weeks in, but it also helps them, you know, oh, uh, we, need, we need to be singing the right words or we need to be counting how many times we're repeating this repetitive part. Mm -hmm. So that way it doesn't sound like a, a mush and then, oh, we're all back together. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I do it in a nutshell. Uh, and I think like the biggest thing that I've seen people have a lot of thoughts and feelings about virtual ensembles. But for me, I think the biggest thing is one, not expecting it to replace an in-person experience. We were planning to do a get together in April uh, before everything shut down or, or, you know, and so I had planned out this uh, event where my students were going to come and sing and play together for the first time. And then that also got canceled along with everyone else's April plans. So my students still, you know, want to be in person just as much as everyone else. And I'm pretty sure I get asked like once a week, like, when are we going to be able to sing together again? You know, so it's not a replacement for that. But that doesn't mean it has to be any less valuable to students. Um, they're still developing skills. So your students are still developing independent musicianship skills, especially students who maybe tend to want to hide behind other students when they're in ensembles. Like this is a chance for them to really be like, okay, I got, I got to do this on my own. I'm going to be developing as an independent musician. Uh, there are benefits, you know, in feeling in community, like my, my, my choir kids love to come early to class and chat a little bit and laugh when I, you know, say the same thing. Like I have all my director phrases, you know, I could basically be a meme. One time one kid changed their like background to my face and I was like, oh gosh. So, you know, like kids are still kids, you know, and they want to do things like that. And so like having a place where they can feel joy and feel in community and still see people singing, even if they can't hear them. I think is very valuable and they can still learn musical skills. And, you know, for the people who are going to go back in, in person, eventually, your kids can still learn skills that can transfer and help you when you are back in person. Like I said, the independent musicianship thing is very big and very jarring for kids at first because they're like, oh my gosh, all I can hear is me during rehearsal. Um, and so it, it definitely can pay dividends in a way that a brick and mortar experience maybe necessarily can't. And so I think just thinking about it as it being a different experience, not a better than or less than experience is the best way to frame it because it's not supposed to be something that is a replacement. It's just something different. Yeah, that's really good. And I feel like they might almost be more independent because they're forced to record and listen to themselves as opposed to, you know, sometimes in choir kids never hear what they sound like until they, you know, one day do it themselves as opposed to like recording all throughout. So that's really good and really interesting. Um, the last thing I wanted to talk about is a little bit of self-care and not letting school take over your entire life in general, because that tends to be a problem with teachers across the board, but especially now when it's like my work is at home and my home is at work and it's just all kind of meshing together. How do you have any tips or ideas for how to kind of separate them so you don't lose your mind? Yeah, that's definitely one of the biggest adjustments for sure especially because teachers are not very good in the first place for the most part of putting work away. Usually it takes you like driving 
home, you know, like, okay, I've, sh- I've locked my door, I've shut it, I, and now I'm on my commute home, and that Hopefully is not like, really clock at night. yeah, and that, but that's a boundary, so like, and then you just, mm-hmm. you know, but now, um, it can be suddenly like eight o'clock at night, and you're like, oh my gosh, I haven't looked up, I haven't eaten today, I haven't done anything, I've just been like, at my computer this entire time, and now I am exhausted and angry that I like, you know, missed out on X, Y, Z thing. And so I think the biggest thing is just uh, creating before work and after work rituals uh, to ensure that your brain understands like we are starting work and now we are ending work. And so you had those cues in brick and mortar. You drove to work and you (laughs) opened your classroom door and you probably said hi to your teacher BFF and talked with them for five minutes. Um, And then at the end of the day, you closed your classroom door and locked it up and walked to the parking lot. And so those were the cues to your brain, like, okay, work is starting, work is ending. Because you don't have that anymore, you kind of have to create new cues. So for example, I get dressed every day. Does that mean I wear something fancy every day? No, but I at least put on, you know, I have uh, pants on and um, my more than a music teacher shirt, which I very much love, but I got out of my PJs this morning, even though I didn't want to because it was colder and I was very comfy and it was Friday, but I forced myself to put on pants and uh, that is a cue to my brain. Now on the weekends, I don't get out of my clothes right away. That's a cue to my brain, like it's weekend time. You get to stay in your PJs a little longer. And even that's a, a simple thing. You know, I remember there was a meme going around when everyone was first online. It was like, people who wear jeans when they work from home are like evil people. And I was just like, wait till you've worn, you know, your comfy clothes for like three months and then you're like, I am not, I'm blurring, you know, work and life. And that's not to say that you can't ever wear comfy clothes, but in the very least, at least put on a new set of comfy clothes. So you're, you're indicating to your brain, like we are no longer in bed sleeping. We have changed out of our clothes. Um, I also walk my dog every morning and I watch the Today Show while I eat my breakfast. And so I do the same exact thing every morning before work. I change it up on the weekends. So, cause I sleep in more or I stay in my PJs or I eat a different breakfast, but that way my brain knows my work week. Then at the end of the day, by 5 PM, that is the end of my contract hours, shut my laptop and I go outside. Even if I, you know, make a planned exception to work later, because I really try to work within my contract hours, but realistically, that's not always going to happen. So regardless of whether I'm going to make that exception or not, I always close my laptop at the same time and take a break. So that way I don't find myself working hours on hours on hours on hours because it is so easy to do that. I also take my lunch every day. So I do not work through my lunch. I will, you know, make something and scroll through Instagram or uh, you know, walk outside with my dog, get some sunshine, but I take my lunch. I don't answer emails. I don't, uh, you know, do anything school related for at least 15 minutes. And that might sound painful because you're like, well, I could use those 15 minutes to get ahead. And then I could be done 15 minutes earlier or later. Um, but it never the issue out. is, yeah, the issue is you need, your brain needs a break. Right. And so you have to take those breaks. You have to take those breaks. If you push through, the more you push through, the less productive you're going to be because your brain is tired at staring of staring at a screen. So I take plenty of breaks throughout the day, even if it's just like a minute where I get up and I just like run in place or something, or I like, you know, walk around my house for a minute. Uh, But you need to take those breaks and you need to move around a little bit. Uh, So boundaries on your time. And then I would say one big thing that I see lots of teachers talking about and doing is I record all my recordings in one take. And 
I keep all my mistakes in unless they're like egregious errors. Like I told a kid that a whole note is actually three beats or something like very wrong, like very wrong. But besides that, if I make, if I make a mistake, I just kind of like make it and then correct myself and then keep going because I think that is what takes up a ton of people's times is that they end up recording a lesson like three, four, seven, 10, 15 times. Um, and it just takes up so much time. So I'm a one and done per and like, trust me, I was that my first year of teaching online. Like, it's not like this is un uh, something totally unpredictable. I'm just saying I am in year four of this. I promise you that like my kids have never been like, oh my gosh, you made three mistakes in our last recording. How dare you? In fact, all it shows them is like, I am an adult. I am a music teacher. I'm a professional. I still make mistakes sometimes and that's okay. My class is a safe place to make mistakes. I'm going to model how to make mistakes for you. And trust me, I make a whole lot of mistakes playing my piano keyboard. <laughs> my, <laughs> my husband is a pianist. So, uh, that's you know, I married my accompanist, so I did not have to, uh, you know, <laughs> do that too much of that myself, but, um, my husband yeah. trombone, so. <laughs> oh, dang it. You know, <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think it's just like, that is a thing that can take up so much of your time. So try to limit yourself to like doing things in one take and being okay. If you like say, well, like, oh, I said that wrong. Or like, I messed that up or like, hold on a second. I did that wrong. Let's try it again and start right where you would, you know, cause like in brick and mortar teaching, I'm sure you make mistakes yeah. all the time and you just keep going because you can't say, wait a second, everyone rewind. <laughs> let's go back five minutes. I'm going to do that again. And so I think, you know, you have to develop that skill and also encourage your students to develop that skill. Like I encourage them leading up to our concert, like you're going to submit recordings for me that are going to contain mistakes. That's okay. I don't want you to submit perfect recordings every time because then I don't, then I don't have a job. Then I don't have to teach you. So submit things with mistakes, especially in the beginning, because that helps me help you. If you record something 800 times, but finally get it perfect, I mean. You're going to be really bored the rest of the semester. <laughs> right. And like, that is just so much time. That's not yeah. what I want them to do, you know? Yeah. And so I think just modeling mistakes, being okay with mistakes uh, is difficult in the environment that we're in because like everything, I mean, everything that we consume, like all the content we consume is very curated and like has high production value and like TikToks. I mean, like no one records a TikTok once and then says, okay, that was it. You know, it's like, all right, we've recorded this like 80 million times, you know, and um, in your Instagram feed, like everything is edited in like very curated and I'm not immune to that. You know, I have, I pick things very particularly. I have like, you know, if I post a picture of myself, there are 80 other pictures that did not make it in there. <laughs> and so we, I think it can be damaging to our uh, sanity if we hold ourselves to those same standards because they're not, one, they're not realistic. Two, they're not really what we do in brick and mortar or what we really want our students to do. And then three, it can easily burn you out. So I know that's kind of a long-winded explanation, but that is my soapbox for sure. No, that is, that is great. So between not recording videos 50,000 times and only picking one new tech item to work on and the working on those visual or mental cues for starting, stopping, and taking breaks during work, I think if people can kind of implement those three things, that will help a ton with just like mental sanity. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest like game right now is figuring out how to reduce what you're doing because everything in online teaching takes like three to four times more, no matter how many times you've done it. Like even for me, still, like even things I know how to do, it still takes me way more time than when I taught in brick and mortar. That's just the reality. That makes it. it a lot better. I've been starting, like I write my lesson plans and then I go back and I take something out from each day because I always end up packing too much in there and stuff. And so that's when my new cue is, I'm like, okay, Becca, we can't realistically do all of this and it's just not 
Like it's just going to stress me out and not help anybody. So that's very true. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think like you have to be really intentional about everything you choose. And that is also another difficult skill because, you know, there are so many great things out there that you can use to teach kids. Uh, it, and one, it takes way longer to like upload it and put directions in and like things that you can do in like three seconds when you're in brick and mortar. But two, I mean, you really have to vet these, these, yeah. you know, whatever you're trying to do, these activities, um, and be intentional about them because you have not necessarily less time, but just the time is, it just flows differently. Um, especially when you're in year one of online teaching, like your pacing has to change completely. Because again, if you think back to your first year of teaching, yeah. like, you know, and how you taught, I mean, that's essentially, yes, you have more wisdom and knowledge overall, but, you know, think about what you would tell your first year teacher yourself. You probably wouldn't be like, well, you need a Bitmoji classroom for sure. And then you also need to plan like these five extra events that no one at your school asked you to do, but you are an overachiever. So you have to go do that. Like you wouldn't tell your first year teacher yourself that. So you have to treat yourself like your first year teacher self. So be kind and tell your first year teacher self, like, it's okay if you don't do this one thing this year, there's always next year. Or like, it's okay if, you know, this one thing doesn't get done because the only person that's really going to notice is you or, whoa, their first year teacher self, like, maybe you don't want to take on this right now, realistically, even if it's super cool. So I think that is also a really helpful mindset to be in. So be kind to yourself. Treat yourself like your first year teacher self. Yeah, that's a really good strategy because you can always think of that like out of body, like what I would tell first year teachers and you don't always think of it applying to you, especially if you're not a first year teacher. So that can be really helpful. So you have laid down so many good things. I've been taking notes, so I should be able to get everything in the show notes that you have mentioned. Um, where can people find you to come and connect? My main jam and my main platform and, uh, also, I think your main platform too, because I always see your posts, um, is Instagram. That's my, my home place. And so I am at the underscore musical underscore Rose. Um, I have a website, uh, themusicalrose.com. And um, you can also send me an email. I'm really, really uh, far behind on my emails, but I am making an effort to reply back to all of them. I have been getting a ton. So it's michelle at themusicalrose.com. And so I do want to help people out. It might take me a little while to get back to you, but please know that you are not alone in this. You are not alone in feeling the way that you're feeling and that, you know, don't forget to, to feel joy because there is joy in online learning. I promise you, I wouldn't do this for four years if it was terrible, you know, um, there, and you just have to think like, this is not going to be the same. And that doesn't make it a terrible experience, right? It's just going to be a different experience. And we can focus on what our students can get out of it, these different skills and these different moments that can't happen in a brick and mortar classroom and just kind of hold on to those. Yeah. And um, I will have your Instagram and website and email like all linked in the show notes. Um, and you have a book, correct? Yes. Yes. Thank you. I feel like my brain. Is <laughs> I wasn't going to let you forget. So. It's okay. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. I did write a book and ironically, like, I had been talking with Sarah, the founder of F Flat Books, before COVID hit about writing this book. And we were like, yeah, it might sell. It's going to be a pretty niche book, but it might sell like a couple copies. But I think it'd be good to put something into the world that like, you know, you share your experiences teaching online. And this, just like, <laughs> yes. So my book can be found at F uh, flatbooks.com f flatbooks.com and so it's teaching music online a comprehensive guide for k-12 music educators and so it has a little bit of everything for everyone from philosophy to teaching tips to um, some actual lesson plans and demonstrations so uh, yeah and I made it with uh, music educators in mind to be able to implement things right away so 
Yeah, it's just wild though, thinking back. Like I had this conversation about a year ago with Sarah at this point, like it was in it was in the fall, late fall of 2019. So like I said earlier in the podcast, like the, the person who was surprised the most was me, <laughs> this whole situation. So I, I don't think it could have been planned out any and like any more so like wild like wildly my 2020 has been just just a wild ride so um but I feel very grateful that I can help people like helping teachers is really where my my heart is and my main jam like that's my favorite thing to do is teach other teachers so yeah, I'm grateful I'm grateful for the experience even if it came at a time that has been very tumultuous <laughs> well I'm sure that it has been very helpful. I have definitely appreciated all of your tips on Instagram and everything. Just any, any little thing. Cause I'm always looking for something <laughs> that is going to help. So, well, thank you so much for being here. Is there anything else you wanted to say? I don't want to cut you off. Um, I don't think so. I just want people to feel a little bit more at ease and it's tough to feel that these days, but yeah. if you can, you know, do one thing this weekend that's a little bit different like just commit to that one thing for me whether it's creating a new boundary or like saying no to more technology or whatever you're gonna do just try to pick one tiny thing that you'll commit to this weekend to help your future self yeah that's so good so thank you so much for being on here <laughs>